What's up, my fellow Las Vegas VIPs? The time has finally arrived. Support for the Guest List Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. Wait for it. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code theguestlist at manscaped.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I, for one, am one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and details on the 4.0 are next level. Guys, I literally just got out of the shower after trying this 4.0 lawnmower for the first time. And I have to say, this is a complete different experience from when I was a young college frat boy running around using a traditional razor to shave my family jewels. I can tell you for one, it does not give a young man filled with testosterone a lot of confidence when you have a cut up man region and you know when you find a significant other for the night, a flick of the light can end your night in embarrassment. I have all of the confidence now knowing that Vegas is about to open up and I have a perfected, trimmed, manscaped area. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredible, comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on and off switch that can engage a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging station uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. Men, if, you're, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some nice, smooth boys. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code theguestlist at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code theguestlist at manscaped.com. That's right, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code theguestlist. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Thank you guys for your support. And now I know that you're ready to hear the show. So get on in there and enjoy the ride. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, if you need a Manscaped product, use the code theguestlist. And not only will you get a 20% off discount and free shipping, you'll be invited to the inaugural guest list party in the summer. I'm sitting here today with Jeremy Siegel. Yo. This man is a two-time author and operates a handful of businesses. I'm going to read some of them off, but I'll probably end up skipping some knowing this guy. And there's a funny story I'm going to mention right after this. He's the owner of OnlyTelemed, OnlyTelemed.com, seven-figure dating, managing partner at Legal Cues, and owner of Ideal Business Solutions. Did I cover all that? Pretty much. So Jeremy, Jeremy and I actually have a, a funny story. Um, I actually met him randomly a few days ago at a meetup or a networking event. But there's some there's something that I always reiterate on the show is like how Vegas is only separated by two to three degrees of separation, right? You could get in touch with anybody. So Jeremy reached out to me on social media, talking about getting on the pod. You know, I just reviewed him. I was like, this guy is awesome, doing a lot of things. And then I meet him at this networking event and I'm looking at him and I'm like, man, this guy looks like somebody that I know. And so then I see his last name, Siegel, knowing me, Jewish fraternity. I look at him like, are you brothers with Nate? And he was like, yes. And I was like, oh my God, how fucking funny is that? (laughs) What a small world. So Jeremy, thanks for coming on here. No, definitely. That was super random. Just uh, uh, the fact that we had connected 
randomly on social media about your podcast, looked it up, it looked great, and then just happened to see you at an event, never seen you before, but now we're like, you know, already getting our rhythms together, and you were great, so let's, uh, I'm excited to, to give you what I got today, so let's fuck, go. Let's fucking send it. Like I said, you, you're operating multiple businesses. You're the author of two books. Uh, first one is Prison to Penthouse, which is something I'd like to dive in at first, and also the other one is Breaking Up, Not Down, Prison to penthouse. Mm -hmm. Very catchy. Thank you. Presuming you went to prison at some point. Definitely went to um, prison. So let's build some context to, I guess, growing up and who Jeremy was and leading up to how you ended up in prison. Uh, let's let's do that. Wow, that <laughs> we are going deep. I'm going to... Does anybody have a box of tissues nearby? <laughs> <laughs> I told you this is the second date. The second date, we go yeah. deeper. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, but, I mean, I... Had I still have, but had massive ADHD growing up. So I really didn't pay attention to a lot. When I think about my childhood and like high school and all that, like it's kind of a blur. It's only like I would say in my 30s that I started to have awareness, which was great because I was in prison at that time. <laughs> so <laughs> survival was pretty important to me. Um, but no, the the what I wrote about in the book is for me, it wasn't surviving prison. I mean, We've heard that story a thousand times, you know. I thrived in prison, and I thrived before and after. So the book I wrote is like the process I go through in rising to the top of it when I'm new to a group, when I'm in a new arena. Uh, growing up, I had five brothers. Uh, I'm the oldest, basically. I got a twin. It, it's it's disputable. Who He was coming out elbow first. I don't think he was supposed to be there. My dad's like, you were supposed to be coming out, so technically I'm older, but he got yanked out. He's a weirdo. Who comes out elbow first? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I talk about attention whore. Um, so just I think being an elder brother, and then there was five of us, so maybe we didn't get a lot of attention, so we are kind of just doing our own thing. So I just kind of grew up where, like, if we did enough, we didn't get harassed by people, but it was kind of up to us to stay busy, active, you know. Uh, I think maybe genetically I had a decent IQ, so school was easy. Um, and then that kind of rhythm just followed me into college. I moved to Vegas when I was 17 um, from California. So it was the first time I'd been on my own. I'm going to UNLV. And college was definitely harder, but it was way more enjoyable because you were really having to put effort into growth and connections because college, nobody knows each other yet. So I really noticed that I was thriving with my ability to manage a lot of relationships and just organize things. I remember like, you know, fake IDs were coming out and I was like, well, I can get a free one. Let me just get like 30 people together. So I got a dorm room, got 30 people in, you know, and bam, got some fake IDs for free. But, um, I just kind of use that ability to mobilize people and then using my leadership skills, um, Back then it was like buy my drugs, whereas now it's like use my other businesses, you know, that are basically legal. <laughs> so that's fucking funny. Yeah. I also used to have a fake ID back in the day. That was an ongoing thing. What state did you get? Florida. All right. Florida. Yeah. My first one got taken away two months before my 21st birthday at our own AE pie party at, that was, cool. at, that was hosted at a venue. Yeah. You must awesome. have had a brother that looked like you. That was jealous. Of. Like, nope, <laughs> I'm gonna need that. That's funny. You know, it's funny. And we see this happen time and time again is people who deal drugs at some point in their life. They tend to be very entrepreneurial because first off you're circumventing the law, which I mean, I guess depending on what your views are of the law, sometimes they're they're faulty laws or they're antiquated. Some other times they're there to protect you. But you find ways to make money when you don't have the ability to create resources in the we'll call it the traditional world. And so is that how you ended up in prison. Did you like my blank stare? I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking that there's a question coming so I can give them the right answer because I didn't know where to take that. <laughs> um, but I'm sorry, what was the final question? Is that how you ended up in prison? From, from That's how I started. Uh, actually, yeah, the first time I went to prison and probably the best thing ever was I, yeah, so I was a weed smoker in college and I just like to also not spend a lot of money on that. So I just found ways to monetize it where if I organized people and bought a lot in bulk, so then I was a weed dealer. <laughs> And then I just realized I could be a weed grower. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the and next then, evolution. Yeah, yeah, you know. So uh, definitely taking chances. And I can see that 
taking chances, how you can end up in prison. Um, as far as, you know, what they say marijuana is a gateway drug. And it's not because like, oh, something in my brain changed. Now I like drugs because I did weed. It's just the fact that you get comfortable taking chances. You get comfortable living on the other side. And that is how we end up, you know, in trouble typically is it's not usually that one-time thing you did. It's like this culture, this lifestyle of, you know, risk-taking. So, uh, but correct. I was growing a lot of marijuana. I was smart enough to get my weed card in Nevada. Back in like 2008, I was number like, I was like number 200 in the whole state to get a weed card. It was so new that I, I'm growing weed. So I reek like pot everywhere I went. And one time I got pulled over driving the cops like, where's your weed at? I said, sir, I don't, I don't know weed in the car. I reek like this because I grow it. And I gave him my, my card and he was like, hold on. He didn't even know we had those. I remember when I went to the DMV to take my, my, get my weed ID. It was like, you're in the DMV. You go through the whole process like, to get your license, kind of a, you know, one booth after the next, you go to the picture line, but then you slip the lady that's doing the picture, this other piece of paper. So she can like swap templates <laughs> and instead of a driver's license, it's a weed license. And I remember this lady's like, was hysterical. The DMV employee was hysterical looking at this thing. She's like, I don't heard about this, but this is hilarious. Like, here you go. <laughs> and bam, out popped my weed ID. So uh, I was allowed to grow. But again, just being a risk taker, I was growing more than I should have. Uh, the police ended up showing up at one point and uh, I ended up going to prison um, for like about, about eight months on a, on a one-year sentence. So that was the first time I ended up in prison. Mm -hmm. Do you cover both experiences in the book or is it just summarizing one experience or your mindset mentality that yeah, experience so the, while you're so there? The book, um, it's really not about you know, telling my life story. Uh, the book came about because I was in prison. I had a long way to go. And before I went to prison for my longest sentence, it was an 18 year sentence. Um, I had done some investment banking and I had just been around successful people like congressmen. And I always was interested in what made them rise. So now I'm in prison with like shock. I mean, I was in a serious prison. I can go into depth later, but watching how the shot callers rose and things that made them successful. What interested me was how uh, this, there were similarities between all parties and how they rise to the top. So that's what I wrote about was the book was initially called Different Suits, Same Stripes. And it was whether shot caller or CEO, how the rise to the top is the same. That's what it was. So that's what the book is really about, that big prison um, experience. I don't even know if I mentioned that first time I went to prison, but, uh, yeah, definitely a great book, definitely an interesting read. And, and, um, that's what it's about. Yeah. So let's dive a little bit deeper into the rise to the top, right? Because this is something that most people are seeking out. Um, even if it's like subconsciously, you can either rise to the top in your economic field. You're trying to rise to the top of your social network, and try to get clout, right? That's what it's called, clout. Everyone wants that because we're all, at the end of the day, we're just uh, social signaling monkeys with, with status signaling monkeys. Yeah. We, we buy watches and fancy cars and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on art just to portray an image that we want to tell society. So there's a lot of different ways to go about rising to the top. That was really funny, by the way. I'm learning a lot about you. I mean, you really come to life when you interview somebody. So I appreciate kind of letting you have the helm. And I feel like we're going to get some great stuff out of this, but I'm also learning a lot from you and uh, the way you're kind of pre-setting things up. I'm excited for this journey. So thank you again. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's send it. Yeah. The, the rise to the top is something that I try to touch on a lot. That was the reason why I started the podcast was that there's so many different networks and different industries in Vegas but they're all tend to be siloed from each other. Why? I don't know. Maybe because somebody hasn't decided to take the reins to try to corral everybody. But if you rise to the top in one industry, eventually you become that shark in the blue ocean, right? And then you just want to move over to the next ocean. That's tends to be a little bit more full, right? So I'm curious on what similarities did you see between the, the, varying stripes between the prison system and Super the corporate and the corporate office um leadership qualities leadership qualities in just being a strong man uh being assertive 
um, I noticed like the willingness to embrace confrontation rather than run from it, uh, the ability to hold people accountable. That was, that was really big for me because in prison, it's like violence is accepted. You know, out here, if I get mad and I want to hit somebody, I got to think about all these consequences that are potentially life-changing. Whereas in prison, those consequences, if you even get caught or if it's a big deal, it's not that, it's not that much, you know, oh, I got to go to a different cell for a month, you know, like no big deal. So, um, just watching men be men in prison, it kind of really accentuated the things I'd already seen in regular society and corporate growth. But yeah, uh, uh, being a good leader, holding people accountable, being more assertive, um, having conviction when you speak, you know, stuff like that. Those are big for me. Yeah. It's men are just fueled with testosterone, right? There's, we're trying to find any different way. I'm sure. Are, are there similarities between some of these prison centric TV shows and movies that you saw while you were there? Um, like that, like what we see on TV about, I don't know, like like the, the shower thing or like stabbings we're gonna, with we're with talk about the shower thing <laughs> we're on on live audio. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely open. <laughs> no, um, definitely there are. I mean, I've seen a lot of different types of prison stuff on TV. Um, Knowing that and just, I mean, I really lived that life. Most people, if they get arrested, they just do a little bit of jail time. A lot of people don't realize the difference between jail and prison. Jail is that, you know, you're initially arrested. You're taken to like a holding and processing area where you'll be for um, your trial, basically. You can bail out and come back to court. And if you get convicted, you'll do a little bit of time. That's going to be jail. But if you're convicted on something big and it's going to be many years, they're going to transfer you to prison. And that is the jail versus prison difference. Um, but then also most of the people that have clout about having been incarcerated and now they're successful out, they were at like minimum security every once in a while, maybe a medium, but usually federal. And there's a really big difference between federal and state prisons. Um the types of crimes that land you in federal tend to be more sophisticated. The system in general in the feds is just more pleasant, whereas the state penitentiary, it's like your wild ones. It's like the real uneducated, just extreme violence. Um, so the prison that I was at was a high security state penitentiary, like the highest security that where the door still open for a little bit. Mm. You know, the only higher security than where I was at was death row, where you're just one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you don't touch, you have no contact with people. So um, definitely, I, you know, from what I've seen on TV, there's a lot of similarities, but uh, I can only speak from personal experience on like the right. craziest shit that I've ever seen and felt. And a lot of what really was stressful about prison was like... I had a decent life before prison. I had a lot of friends. I, I had I had some cash and nice stuff. I had a good lifestyle. I partied a lot. Family, friends. Being away from all that was nothing. That that wasn't a problem. Eating just the worst food and small portions of it, that wasn't really the problem. You know, not having privacy, having to go to the bathroom and shower and all this in front of people, that wasn't really the problem. The problem and the 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 real like detriment of being imprisoned is who you're living with. You know, that part is like really not explained. I'm like, just how much a lot of these people suck. There are some decent people in prison. I mean, I've got some best friends that, but they're usually like, they're doing a lot of time. Um, but for the most part, yeah, the people are the worst part about prison, having to get along with them. And they really tend to make, they tend to make everything worse for everybody. Kind of like out here on the streets is like a lot of people make a lot of noise and cause a lot of problems and then complain about the problems. You know, so, um, that was the hardest thing about prison. I don't see that being portrayed a lot, but I would say to answer your question about similarities. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was rapings. I, I saw a lot of just extreme violence and it was nonstop and it was at any moment, you know, to this day, I can't even close my eyes if I'm around, like if I'm outside or if I'm around people, I can't close my eyes that the fear of like, I'm going to get hit from behind the head. Like, Prison was just nuts. It really fucked me up. Yeah, stay out. So, so with with all of this constant fear and violence surrounded you, 
what type of activities did you do or what type of mental models did you practice in order to maintain that conviction that eventually you'll be from the, you'll be in a penthouse from prison? So, um, the sense that I got, and we can just start there. Most people like habitual offenders, drugs, property crimes, you know, burglaries, robberies, you know, stabbings, they're doing like, like one to five years, two to five, you know, three to eight, maybe. But I got a six to 18 year sentence. It was an 18 year prison term. And I had to do a minimum of six years before I'd be eligible for parole. So, and on top of that, my crimes are like, I've never even been in a car accident. And these are mainly DUIs and drugs and whatnot, but it's all super petty shit. But the sentencing judges, they don't look at like the arrest record or the arrest facts. They just look at your arrest record and your conviction records. They're just seeing like, you know, eight DUIs in one year and like running from cops and all this shit. Um, so I happen to get a massively large sentence compared to other people. Most people, if they get half that time, I don't care if they've been out of prison their whole life. They're going to cry like a bitch, you know, because prison sucks. It's like your freedom's gone. You know, you're literally like a, like a cage, you're a cage animal, you know, you're told when you can shower and sometimes when you can go to the bathroom, all these things. So, um, that is kind of where my experience started. That was different was I didn't cry. I didn't cry. I got really focused from the very first day I got sentenced. And I just said, I will not do my time in pr this much time in prison. I will find a way to get down to like a work release program much earlier than anything else. So that was my initial focus. And that's where I started was I just tunnel visioned on that one objective. I didn't let any other bullshit affect me. So, uh, but the, those kind of that way of thinking and, and being stuck in those patterns of tunnel visioning, focusing on positives and just building and controlling what I could is this is how I end up with all the assets and, joy in life that I have this to this day and age. So you, you just remained strong and you tried to find different ways that the other prisoners were kind of overlooking or didn't care about to, to find opportunity to either accelerate the process to, to get out or to keep your mind busy in activities that will, I guess, increase your curiosity or intellect or varying degrees of that. You nailed it perfectly when you had said, we're just like monkeys trying to impress people, you know, because that's what it all comes down to. I don't care if you're, I mean, you know what it's like when you show up to school the first day and they're just, you can just sense this like cool kid. Like everyone's kind of doing things they think they're supposed to do first day at work, you know, and it's all about acceptance. And the problem is in, if you're trying to be accepted in school or in work, you may be like, I don't know, maneuvered a little differently, but like in prison, being maneuvered on someone else's agenda means you're going to have to go stab someone. You're going to get fucked in the ass. You know, you're going to doing a lot more time in prison or being killed, you know? So it's like, it's really serious to not do that, but people don't know how to maintain their strength and agenda while being part of a group. So I just made sure from day one that I was, I, I, I walked, I mean, it's all in the book, dude. Mm -hmm. you know, I had this, this process that I go through in every new arena. I mean, with only my high school degree, high school diploma, I built some big law groups with, um, even going to prison. I didn't fit in at all. I was white. So it's racially segregated. Every white person in prison is like big ass swastikas on their chest. Hail Hitler, light lightning bolts. Like that's what they're about. I'm Jewish. I don't have tattoos. You know, I'm a petty offender. Yeah, I've got a big sentence, but like I did not fit in at all. So, um, uh, and then the same thing when I came out of prison, you know, I, now I'm a five-time felon and it's like, well, well, what do you do with that? And still I've built some big companies. I, I did some judicial fundraising campaigns uh, during this last election season. I got elected on the board of directors and I managed a $5 million bank account for one of the wealthiest communities in town. These people all know my record. Um, so with my ADHD, what was your question again? What was <laughs> Sorry. We'll move on to the next question mm -hmm. because you, you discussed or you brought up that I was talking about that we're all social or yeah, status so signaling ability, apes. The ability to uh, uh, maintain your position, but you still have to get along. You can't be a complete outsider. You mm -hmm. will get stabbed. So there were just certain things that I did better and paid attention to in adding value to the group and being a strong person for the group. Um, that was, that was much more appreciated than like, oh yeah, here, go put in some work. Oh, go hang out with these shot callers and kiss their ass all day. 
you know? It's, it sounds like malleability is very important, being able to adapt to your envir- environment, but also possess mental strength in order to, to know that you have to maintain this ability to stay strong and not cry like a little bitch, as you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, but back to, you know, being status signaling, when I read your title, Prison to Penthouse, Penthouse is a massive status signal, right? It's at mm. the top of a building. Like that. You're above everybody. It's called the penthouse. It's it's generally stigmatized as like the Playboy Mansion, or at least that's how the movies and the media kind of makes it out to be. So how how did you end up in a penthouse? Did you just come out of prison ready, just guns guns blazing, ready to put into action those ideas that you'd been um, thinking about while you're in prison? Yeah. So for me, I feel that like, well, not for me, for anybody, it's really a luxury to be able to have the opportunity to hit the reset button. Most people don't have that, that, that option because we get in these rhythms of obligations, you know, car payments, you know, kids, whatever it is. It's like, we are being controlled. Our time is being controlled by our things and our, and the things we're obligated to. So when I went to prison that first time for growing marijuana, my houses were raided. So when I came out, I literally had no home. I had no money I had no car. I literally had nothing. So my, so because I had nothing, it allowed me to kind of just look out and, and just put effort into some really great new opportunities and not have that pressure, you know, where that will usually force your hand to do, do something quick and not necessarily something long-term great. So, uh, definitely was coming out of prison with nothing allowed me to take the chance. Um, I started, um, well, I just needed to get a resume and have an internet connection to shoot off for interviews. So I called this lawyer guy that I'd kind of known, and I go to his office, and I'm just using his computer. This is back in 2010. I am typing up my resume. I'm using his internet, shooting it off for interviews. And in that process, he had a, he had fired a lawyer, and then he had lost his legal assistant to like carpal tunnel surgery. So it was just me, and I'm like, I'm start answering the phones. And then four months later, I'm like managing the whole office. And so... Uh, that was how I started that. And then because I didn't have the obligations, it was like I was buying things as I could afford them. And I put myself in strong positions and I knew what my worth was. So after a few years, I just saved up and I was able to do some big things with that cash. I could see that when you're in prison, it's just you alone in your mind and you don't have to suffer from the peer pressures that surround us. That's what holds a lot of people down the way that your your friends view you, the way that your parents want you to grow up, what society tells you to be. There's so so many times people reach out to me to come on the podcast and they are like telling me how to run the podcast when it's when it's my own. And this this kind of idea happens in not just content creation, but I'm sure with businesses as well. From all of these 400 different businesses that you operate, I'm mm-hmm. sure a client comes in and tries to tell you how to run your business. So when you come out of prison it's just you and you can just pursue whatever is top of mind Mm -hmm. and um i had done a clubhouse not too long ago i got invited to speak about the underdog advantage so it's that it's for me it's that same kind of principle where you just have the opportunities and the ease and the ability to focus if that's your choice um like i said when it comes to grouping 95 percent of any group are just gonna fuck off i don't care if you grew up poor five percent of you rise if you go to prison five percent of you will rise if you're if you're born wealthy 95 percent of you will will fuck off and won't do what your dads did you know Mm -hmm. so um same thing when you come out if 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 that's really what you want you and you have the ability to tunnel vision definitely man um that's the time to do it answer your question for the most part i mean we're just a conversation so you don't really necessarily have to answer anything you know it's just a lot of a lot of back and forth it's kind of i see i see myself as just a facilitator of whatever your stream of consciousness is at the, at the time being. I apologize up front. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you've achieved a level of success that you had been pondering while you were in prison? Or do you think there's a lot of room to grow for what you had imagined when you were at your rock bottom? Oh, I way excelled what I thought I would do from prison. Like I way excelled. Um, and mo- most importantly is the things that I've excelled in aren't things that I dreamt about in prison. I never thought that I would get into law. I never thought I would get into speaking and even the book writing. The, the, I, I wrote a book based off of like, at first it was just poetry journaling. 
It was like every day I just started journaling a couple pages and I was bored. So I'd make it rhyme like that, you know, and then I went to the hole for a fight. So I started kind of organizing. I'm like, maybe I'll write a book. And then, um, but it's like everything I've achieved to this day and age is way much greater than what I thought I would start out with. And it's in different arenas. And that's kind of the point of the book. And that's kind of like my message in life. And that's what my new business kind of makes all my other ones underneath it very concisely. And it's, it's all about strong positioning. And I remember we had, um, uh, well, I can give you a more recent example. Last week, I just finished a lawsuit that was coming at me. I did a 60 page position with 20 exhibits and afterwards I rest easy because at the end of the day, it's not about winning or losing. It's about putting yourself in the best possible position for success. So when I have my video courses on dating or on a manhood or on exercising, it's, it's, it's not about like conquering all it's about, did I do everything I was supposed to do? Could I have done more? If so, you know, shame on you. And, uh, ADHD, let me back up one more second. My father was dying of cancer and I'm out there and I'm like, we're basically saying goodbye to him, you know? And, uh, he, he pulls me aside and he starts crying. He's like, you know, Jeremy, he's like, I, I'm doing everything I can. I said, bullshit, dude, you're fucking eating ice cream last night. You're drinking fucking seltzer water. You know, like when God looks at you, you know, at the end, could you have done more? If your answer is, yeah, I could have done a lot more shame the fuck on you. But if not, life will live. Do you know what I'm saying? You just want to put yourself in the best possible position. And so that is what I really preach is like, you know, building strong foundations, you know, tightening up all, all these areas, shedding your weaknesses. And in that sense, you go into your opportunities or opportunities will find you where you're finally positioned for an ability to, ability to capitalize on those things. So that is what I've done in prison. That's And I've obtained success in arenas and levels that I'd never even thought I could do. So how do you go about creating a strong foundation? Are there any pillars to this foundation that stick out to you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> big, big time. So, uh, and that, that's what I write about. So when it comes to a strong foundation, you know, I start with posture. Uh, when I, I paid for college, I got kicked out, so I didn't finish, but I was supporting myself in college as a personal trainer. And what really stood out to me back in like 2001, when I got trained by 24 hour fitness, not prison trained, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be careful talking about prison, can't be talking about getting trained, but, um, uh, that's episode number two, <laughs> that's the <laughs> private one. So when 24 hour fitness trained me as a personal trainer and, uh, I was learning about posture and hydration, and nutrition, I mean, these things were like brand new to people back then because I grew up in an age of like sugary cereal for breakfast, soda every meal, water bottles weren't even really a thing, you know? So, um, but, but I remember posture being huge and I actually was, became very successful as a personal trainer, just walking around the gym and, and adjusting people's posture while they were working out. I'd adjust their posture. I bring their weight down by like half and I'd be like, Oh, whoa, like, Oh shit. I feel that, you know? Uh, I even came out with a patent in my 20s for ergonomic technology and office chair to eliminate slouching. So basically put your hips deep in the back of the seat. Um, posture is something that has probably been one of my biggest factors of success. Posturing in physical situations, but even just mental posturing, but really seeing things through the lens of good, strong posture. So posture is a big one, posture for impact. Um, uh, the second pillar I would say is like, brutally assertive you know you have passiveness where it's like oh i'm more concerned about you than i am me you have aggression aggressiveness which is like i'm i'm more important i don't care about you and then you have assertive which is like mutually re respectful but being assertive requires like your willingness to go through that discomfort it also requires your willingness to do whatever the fuck it takes. Like if I put my foot down, I'm like, dog, this is, this is not okay. And I'm not willing to back that up. I'm not willing to fight. Then, then I just bluffed and you called my bluff. And now I'm back to like being treated like a bitch. Cause I just proved that I am, you know? So the willingness to fight and, and back your positions and be assertive, that was a big one. So I'd say posture being assertive. Um, and then I've got a few other ones, but there are a lot of strong pillars. There's different principles that you could possess, traits that you act out, but we all go through life with varying pillars. And that's what I find interesting about entrepreneurs because we all have a similar goal, end goal. It's to provide value to society in some sort of way or to solve a problem. 
but the structures that build our foundation and the paths that we eventually build out are just so, so chaotically different. It's, it's just a very interesting story to hear, mm-hmm. especially yours, because you've, yeah. I think one trait that sticks out to me for you is grit. Yeah. No, honestly, I, I, I say this sometimes, like I sometimes wish I had another option, you know, but, but I just grew up and I didn't, I had five brothers, so there wasn't money for us. Um, there wasn't, you know, we had five boys in my family. So when I left for college, there wasn't a room for me to go back to. Um, you know, I'm out here on my own. If I didn't make enough money, I was homeless. You know, I just never had the option to slow down. And why would you want to? It's like you start competing. You realize you, you can succeed some of the time, you know. So I just focused on that one thing. on doing whatever it takes, you know. Um, and same thing in prison you can't let other people control your agenda. You're just going to, in prison, we call that being a torpedo. When you come in and I can see you're willing to jump on my my board, you know, you're going to put in some work. I'm going to have you torpedo out and now you're going to be in the hole. You're going to lose everything and I'm my position will be better. So, but that's what happens in, in life in all these different arenas, corporate, school, any kind of grouping, you know, even relationships. You know, we talk about um, polarization and and and, you know, Women needing to be women, men needing to be men, and you can move around, but it's like you have to have a strong position. So uh, that that one thing, and I guess the conference, knowing I can keep that and build that, uh, put me anywhere. I'm 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 ready to to coach. I'm ready to to bring the team with me. You know. Yeah, all of your businesses have varying degrees to it, right? Um, le- what is what is it? Legal ideal cues. legal cues, ideal yeah. business solutions, seven figure dating, interesting. Mm-hmm. And telemedicine, right? Yeah. That's also a growing trend. But outside of all of these, something that I've been, a question I've been sitting on, I didn't know how to really transition to, your your life was on pause. You went to prison. Why did you come back to the city where you originally got in trouble from and not transition out and start over in another city? Like, why why come back to where all of the troubles were caused? Um, I don't think that, the place caused my problems. I think that I was causing my problems. The cool thing was, um, yeah, I mean, I was causing my problems, but they were like, it wasn't like I was being some piece of shit and breaking all these rules. I was like, you know, rule bending. Like I said, I'm growing weed, but I got a weed card. You know, I got DUIs, but they like weren't really DUIs. I just was looking like I was fucked up because I was coming back from the clubs at 4 a.m. in a Viper, you know, drop top. So it's like, it's not, it, yeah, if, if it was like, oh man, the people you're around are causing you these horrible things or like, oh my God, this city hates you and they're going to do whatever it takes to bring you down. That wasn't my issue. My issue was like me. So I, I didn't need to run from me. I could fix me. Did you have that realization while going through the legal process or was that while you were in prison that you realized you were the culprit of your own problems? Well, the, so it, it's, it's kind of unfair to group how I view the the system and the way I was treated because um, I although I fully agree that uh, that I you know needed to be disciplined. I mean, I got it was way too much. I mean, even the state supreme court was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, that's how I got out early. But at the end of the day, for the most part, the system gives people a lot of chances before they just throw them in prison. You know, first you just, you get arrested, you get a fine, and maybe next time you get a class, you know, then a rehab, and then maybe probations, then maybe three more probations. And then, only then will you just get a prison sentence. Um, so, uh, answer your question. What was your question one more time? Why'd you come back to Vegas? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people that end up there, Really, their environment just isn't good for them. It, everything about it is bad. But for me, it's like I was deaf. The police filed false reports against me, provably false reports saying, oh, you know, we smell alcohol in his breath. And then my blood sample would come back eight months later after I had pleaded guilty. It would show 0.00 alcohol. So it's like, do I really need to like run from from that? Or maybe I just don't drive at 4 a.m. come back from the nightclubs in a Viper. You know what I'm saying? Like those little things. And um, I don't mind a little challenge. At the end of the day, Vegas is fucking amazing. You know, I left California, which is beautiful and, and somewhat elegant. And but Vegas is all about like opportunity. And it's just it's about opportunity and ease. Not to mention it's full of like 
people that I would say aren't the best in general, but it also has an amazing inner circle. You know, there are some incredible people out here that when you prove your worth, you know, and you really can add value to a group and people can coast on your strength, like life becomes easy. And I, I, that is what I became addicted to. So the, the little things that I could tighten up didn't matter compared to like the massive advantages to being a good person in Vegas. You really stand out and have, have great life. So is the purpose of these four different businesses, um, uh, do you use them as leverage to get into these inner circles, which therefore you build something else? No. Why, why, why take on so many endeavors? Well, okay. So the, the authorship and the video courses, definitely that is where I'm trying to transition full time. My finances, um, are, I've lived well off of the medical legal field. I just said business. I kind of fell into these things. Like I explained the legal one, the medical side with the telemed was just, you know, one of my neighbors, he just has all these big companies and, um, and he had a, he was backed by a private equity. He was running into a problem and he needed some physicians. He knows that's part of my business. So I helped him solve a problem and then took ownership with that telemed platform. Um, so that's how I got involved in legal medical, but the other businesses, I'm trying to go full time there. I really want to give people strength and strategy for things that have allowed me to rise every single time in different arenas with that core strength. So that's what the books are about. That's what the video courses are about. And those are more like lead magnets, entry level stuff to get people into like coaching programs, executive coaching, blah, blah, blah. Do you find fulfillment from coaching? Love that shit. I think it's just a natural fit for me because I've done it. I think that's part of, I mean, that's why I rose so high in prison because I, I, I was literally elected by Nazis to like run the prison. You know, like I was a guy that had to go talk to the warden if we were about to riot because the ACs weren't getting fixed. You know, they just gave me that trust. They're like, well, here, you run this unit, you know, because I was a, I'm a great leader. I love to help and train. And I even got elected to run the law library for the whites. So everything in prison that I was at is racial segregated. So every job has three, has a black person, a white person and a Mexican, you know? So I was the white for the law library, which was the single best job you could get in prison. You had the most access, you had the most control. You could go to any unit on the yard. Um, and so, fuck, I forgot your question already. Do you find fulfillment, fulfillment. from coaching? Oh yeah. So it just has always been a natural fit to, that I give people that strength and that help. And it's like, if I can be compensated for that and make that my full-time thing, that's what I'm trying to transition to full-time with. I think coaching, um, content creation is going to succeed magnitudes more than the traditional business models of storefronts as everything becomes increasingly digitized and individuals are able to brand and market themselves in various ways that aren't just applicable to social media. It's important to have a voice in some way or another because that the, the, the way of the future is remote and you need to be able to pack up your, your quote unquote job and take it with you wherever you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, having your expertise and your passion, uh, that, that's everything. You know, a lot of people just don't figure it out. But, um, if you have that, like, like you're saying, you can, you can always have a place in life. You can always be comfortable. Do you think you'll stay in Vegas? I think I'll always have a home out here for sure. I freaking love this city. It's great, man. It's just like, you have more freedom out here. I like the way it flows too. It's, you don't have the traffic. And v Vegas is in dire need of leaders in the new era. It's been... It's existed on this 3D plane, and uh, we need to be able to find the, the technical overlay and be able to code it with the, the internet economy or the creative economy, however you want to lay it, because that's something that I see is in dire need. It's just lacking so far, and I don't know why they haven't been able to integrate these internet communities and leaders into the economy, but... Me, you, all the people I have on the podcast and some of the others need to take ownership over the city and kind of lead it into the next generation. Um, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm agreeing with it without really understanding the, the layout of how that, what, what is actually missing from our city as far as like leaders and leaders who are represented online, um, the next generation, mm -hmm. 
my generation, your generation, yeah. right? Like the, the previous generations that preceded us um, were, I guess they're like right now are older male, but they're very corporatized. They kind of hide behind the guise of their own business. Whereas people like me and you and some others are out in the forefront, right? We're putting our face on cameras. We're going out and doing speaking events uh, like you're doing next Friday. You're, but you're Vegas right. has been lacking that for so long. And it's like, I've been trying to figure out why, but it's because it seems like nobody's really taken ownership to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've been in Vegas a little over 20 years now, but in my first 10, 15 years, like the people we worship were the fun people. You know, it was the, it was the industry people, mm -hmm. you know, those are the cool people. So I would say definitely we are having this shift in Vegas of, of leadership qualities with the big businesses coming out here. And I've seen some people, uh, we, I think we, I mentioned the guy, Dave Berlin mm -hmm. for you, yep. um, but he is putting together something or, or he's pitching with the Raiders and, uh, oh yeah, I was business at, I was at that at event. That? Yeah. I was okay. at the event, the tech hub meeting two weeks ago. It was two weeks ago, man. Yeah, entrepreneurship week. Yeah, he was supposed to invite. I'll me make sure you come to the next one. Well, he, I had him over. D damn it, Dave! I'm, <laughs> Dave, I'm coming at you, dog. For real. <laughs> damn it, Dave. Yeah, it, damn he's it, Dave. he's taking on a big role. Entrepreneurship week. Yeah. For those who don't know, it's an international event that is thrown on by 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 many cities. Um, and Dave has a background. He he used to work for Tulsa or for startup Tulsa, and he's trying to. They're trying to identify Vegas as what's called as a Silicon central. They want to try to navigate and bring out a lot of different tech entrepreneurs and businesses out here because we are in a dire need of this technical overlay for the city. Mm. That's not just dependent on tourism. Like the bridges have been partially built and then they just become dismantled. And we're just big like, enough that we could do a lot with it rather than just, uh, rather than just servicing people, we could be controlling things before people can get here. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of money out here. All of the new Vegas residents that have been buying up all these houses are all remote workers. And so they're all still making, you know, six figures from their tech job. Eventually they're gonna wanna do something after they're acclimated to the city, maybe two years, I'd say. Mm -hmm. But also a problem I see is on the strip, all of the, workers who work on the strip and will work at places like Omnia where I used to work and even more positions. There's an issue with taking that capital off of the strip and not putting it back yeah. into the system. And it's like, we have to be able to encourage that in some way. And the only way to do that, I guess, is to see different opportunities for those people who work on the strip to find opportunities out in the city, mm -hmm. but they haven't existed. So it's almost like a, like a catch 22 paradox mm -hmm. and uh, small events like you're doing this Friday, which it'll be, this episode will be released by or after that event that you're speaking at, but those kind of events bring in entrepreneurs and influencers yeah. who have found success to have these meetups of a hundred different people to, to speak to, to inspire, right? Mm. That's something that um, I think you're going to find some success with. And um, I'm, I'm glad you're doing something like that. Uh, absolutely. Like I said, this is all new to me. So I'm really figuring out where I'm best suited at, but man, nothing makes me happier than giving people strength and comfort. You know, I just feel like in life, like a lot of people, like people that aren't happy is because like, they're just kind of push the side of their path. And the whole thing is like, gain your strength, have your core strength and, and regain control of your path. And when you do that, you're going to be happy. It's not about getting all the success in the world. It's about being in control of your time, being in control of your direction. And in that sense, you're, you're already winning. Right. It seems like you've, you've found your purpose and we it takes a long time for us to actually find that purpose. Usually you have to start out with a niche and then you build out from there. And then inevitably you find your purpose or your, your life fulfillment from there, which you're saying that is your fulfillment, mm -hmm. right? But you started off with these four different businesses and I'm assuming that you didn't feel like these were your purposes, but these were your vehicles to eventually attain your purpose. Uh, I, I gotta be honest, man. Every single one of them, well, I do business solutions was more of a shell to collect payment for other businesses, but the, but the legal and the medical, it was, it's, and is fulfilling because people are coming to me with like serious freaking problems, you know, especially the legal side. Like we do a lot with injury law 
And these are people that they've, you know, they've been cheated. They've been, their, their, their wholeness has been taken from them, stolen from them as, as a victim. And you've got all these people willing to help solve that problem, but therein lies the opportunity for success because most people are shitty people. You know, medical, legal, especially it's like worship me because I have this degree, you know, worship me and don't ask me any fucking questions Just do as I say, trust me, that was good. You're good. Being in that business, I've seen people like clients get robbed left and right. They don't even know what good service is until afterwards. And they hear from their friends, oh, you only got this or you didn't even get that. Or So I have experienced great fulfillment in solving those problems, mm -hmm. but it's like the businesses are on autopilot at this point. Right. You know, like I really want to make an impact people that are like more intentional. Like I need this right now. Can you help me with this path in life? You know, there, there, there's plenty of lawyers and doctors, but like the ability to coach and give people that grit that you were talking about to just make it happen with the, the simple fundamentals. Um, and the way the story that I'm telling with it, it's again, my books and my teachings aren't about other people and like science and all that. It's just, this is what has worked for me and it works really freaking well. You can copy it to a T uh, and then hearing the story, people should be able to have that confidence knowing that, hey, I, I can do this. And, and I really want to be transitioning to those types and from the ground up. Right. And so the, the difference here, and I'll, I'll get some clarity between the, the telehealth business and the legal business and the, the dating business. Did you found these companies or were you brought on as a partner? Found found it all so of them. When it, when it comes to legal, I just don't put <coughs> owner because it's more questions. So I learned at a young age, like sometimes you don't want to be the face. So put manager, you know, but if you go check licenses and shit it is what it is. Uh, when it comes to telemed, yeah, that's a, that's a hundred percent something I started. I did bring a partner in because we bill Medicare and I have five fel felonies on my record. Plus, but the guy that I brought in, he has big neurology practice. So he's great with billing and you know, that's a big part of making money in the medical field is the billing process and knowing how to bill and having the uh, credentials to bill certain insurance companies. Um, the dating thing, let's be clear on that. It started out as dating, um, but it transitioned to like manhood. It's all about becoming an extraordinary man that women crave. It wasn't my initial focus. I wanted to, during COVID, transition to self-help, YouTube stuff, talk about the book, one of my team guys was like, Jeremy, no one knows you yet, so you can't go too general right away. Niche down. You know, why don't you do dating? You're good at dating. You can start there, and then you can build from there. I'm like, well, okay. So then I'm just going to give relationship advice, but he's like, no, 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 niche down further. He's like, just do dudes. You know, I'm like, okay. So I made a dating thing, but but um, because it was COVID, I'm actually with my boy Rich. Him and I did it together. Uh, we just started filming and researching and learning about what it was. So... Um, we put together this dating program for online dating, showing men how to how to build a strong dating profile so they can properly engage women and get a date within one or two messages rather than like, you know, because a lot of guys don't realize, like, they really don't understand the access that women have. They are talking to a thousand dudes at the same time. It's not a big deal. So you're any one little, little awkward moment or, or mess up, they're on to the next, you know? So avoid that process, these long conversations where you can fail for a million reasons. She's trying to play cool. You're taking your time. You're, you might say something weird, whatever. Fail, fail, fail. If you build profile depth as a man and you engage them properly, you can secure that date quicker. Then you get more information. Hey, by the way, what's your Instagram? Hey, let's do a FaceTime before we meet up. But at least you already got it locked in, you know? So um, the whole point of the dating thing was a lead generation. Let me start with something basic. Help these guys solve one problem. And then I can have additional things on top of that where I can go more towards general self-help, general life coaching so uh, that's kind of the system for the dating is like elevated manhood, start with the video course. Then from there, I've got some group coaching and some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And out of all of these businesses, does this take up the most time out of the, the four? For you, is, is this business a priority? Yeah, um, the self-help space is. But see, it's like now I'm really starting to think like um, work on the speaking side of things. Um, make other courses that complement. Like, so part of the giving men depth is like giving them the, the physique they want, teaching them how to cook and cook to clean quick. Because if you don't clean, if you walk into a kitchen with dirty dishes, you're much less likely to cook, you know, versus if you walk into a spotless kitchen, everything's ready to go. So it's like, I have all these strategies to give yourself depth 
And it's basically just duplicating the one thing that I fucking do really well in life, just efficiency. Um, and I, you're, are you coming over on Saturday, by the way? Saturday, yeah. So, okay, yeah, you, you'll come, you, you'll see my place. My house, I have designed and installed everything. You know, this wasn't, I didn't, I, I can just do all these things, but it's like, um, when you learn to get the most out of your time, you can get a lot more done. When you learn how to be that strength and, and consistency with depth for other people, you tend to get the best out of them. So, uh, teaching that system, I guess, is taking most of my time. The legal businesses, I do a little bit of marketing. Um, the medical thing takes care of itself. So yeah, this is taking up most of my time right now. Will you be speaking about all of these different attributes on Friday at the, the rise event? I don't know. I had the guys over last night that are throwing the event. Cause I'm like, Hey, what exactly do you want me to talk about? And they gave me some pointers. Uh, what I'll be talking about at that event. First, I had to understand their, their audience. And so pretty much I'm going to talk about the ability to connect and what you can do with strong connections. Um, talk about like thriving through hardship and the fact that you can obtain these massive things. And uh, so it'll be that kind of messaging on Friday. Yeah. And Jeremy will be sharing the stage with um, some very successful people. Brad Lee. Yeah. Who are the, there's a few. Carlos Munoz, I think is how you pronounce it, but he's just, he's big time in Latin America. He's like, he's like a Gary Vaynerchuk out there. So I'm excited. He's actually coming over Saturday morning to be interviewed um, at, they're going to use my place. They asked me this morning if they could do that instead of like some other place. I was like, fuck yeah. You know, I love being around these things and just learning and watching and uh, making shit happen. Being around all of these successful people, do you ever feel a sense of imposter syndrome? No. Not at all? No. Um, no. So, I mean, I think the imposter syndrome comes from the fact that you're probably out of your element because there's a difference. Like when you're experiencing growth and trying new things, There's it's okay to like be uncomfortable or insecure about it. But as far but as far as self worth and the ability to, to it, knowing that if you learn these things you could you could deliver, that is just a process you go through. That that's not imposture. Imposture is like where you just really don't think you have what it takes. And no, I, I I know my worth. I've put in a lot of fucking work to learn all these things. And in fact, usually I enjoy being around more successful people because it makes me feel even more successful. Because like I watch how impressed they are with my knowledge base and my achievements. I'm like, yeah. So that's part of the reason why I have so much confidence and excitement in going into the space because I know when I start to tailor my message better, as you can see, I'm, I've got a lot going on. So I really got to have more of a concise messaging. But as I do it, I, I should be able to provide a lot of value to people of all levels. So it's more of a, a validation of the direction yeah. that you're yeah, going towards definitely, rather definitely. than imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why the reason why I bring up imposter syndrome because, and I've had this conversation with many people on the podcast and outside the podcast where it, it comes it tends to come in hints for a lot of people. It's like you you meet someone that you never thought you were worthy of, and that mentality predates the trajectory that you're on, right? So like, if I met. I'm just going to use example, right? I met Joe Rogan and I'm like, uh, I have this like subtle thought of like, wow, this is a crazy experience. But that thought, um, that, that slight feeling of imposter syndrome comes from my mentality before the road that I had built myself on to be in front of Joe Rogan at that time. So sometimes we, we feel a little bit of like emblematic of our past self before we found success and so sometimes imposter syndrome isn't something that's just substantiated and stays for a long time. It's just like flashes that, yeah. that kind of come through. Yeah, I think, I think people just confuse imposter syndrome with being uncertain. And, and being uncertain, like I'm about to go fight some dude in the ring, some dude that I've watched him fight, and he's won all these matches, and I'm going to give him my best. I, I, I hope I kick his ass, but I don't, you know, who really fucking knows at the end of the day? I'm uncertain. It doesn't mean I don't... I, and I guess for if you really have imposter syndrome, it's because you haven't done as much as you can. Like if you're uncertain, uncertain is like I've put myself in the best possible position. I've worked on all these things. I don't know what will happen. 
I'm uncomfortable. I hope I do win, but I, I might get whooped out. But that's not imposter syndrome, you know? So I think that if you're feeling like you're not good enough, you need to just kind of step back and start working on your fundamentals more along your journey. Posture, being assertive, building your position, learning your trade, practicing more. Those are things. And then being uncertain, that's not imposter syndrome. That's par for the course. And um, you should be more, you're probably more anxious than nervous, I guess would be a mm. big thing, you know? That is sometimes we focus too much on the end goal and we don't embrace the journey along the way because once you hit that goal and you look back, that's the the fun part, right? Of mm -hmm. the entire ride. That's something that many successful people <clears throat> portray all the time is like, enjoy the journey. But yeah. sometimes it's tough to enjoy the journey because you just want that fucking goal. You're like, I just want to be there already. Yeah. But um, I guess the journey has a lot to do with all the things you've already learned. So even for me, when I'm taking on a new venture, even though I'm starting at the beginning, I'm, I'm fucking loving every single moment of it. I think that a lot of people just, if they're not enjoying something, it's because other aspects of their life, like, you know, if you're living in debt and you have all these obligations and you've kind of put yourself in a hole, it's going to be a lot of fucking work to get out of that and get on your trajectory. And that's fine. You got to go through that, you know, but Definitely. Once you've been doing things for a certain amount of time, even if you start a new venture, you know, for me, I just li live comfortably. I don't overspend. You know, I've got really nice things, but like I buy them when I can. So it's like, I just, I embrace every moment of every day. So I feel like if you are one of those people that has dug yourself a hole then just accept the fact that it's going to be very uncomfortable for a little bit, maybe six months. You know, who gives a shit? We're looking at a three, five-year thing. And 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 because because definitely you look at these people that have what you want and like you, you want to do everything you can to make sure you start to enjoy every moment of every day. So it's not a bad thing if that's where you're at. Don't worry about it like that. I had to... I had, I was 18 years in prison, man, like deep living, hole, living like the deep worst hole. possible nightmare you could imagine. Still fucking smiling every goddamn day. I don't fucking care. I'm going to tell vision. I'm going to focus on the opportunities, the optimism, the things I can control and build. I'm going to fucking smile because this life is short. So what do you think holds back an individual from unlocking their true potential? Uh, okay. Well, it, definitely obligations. I feel like a lot of people don't, can't even look to the right lens because they're already held down. Uh, that would be number one. I would say another big thing that keeps people down is um, they analysis paralysis. I think somebody said the other day um, they overthink it, you know, and they'll spend more time thinking about it than just starting. They don't realize like after you've done this and you've started at the bottom, you've gone on top of something, you just get in the habit of I can fucking do this. And so if you're one of those people that just hasn't gone through that process, start going through that process. I don't care if it's like getting good at a sport or learning how to learning some new software. You know, I just last week got off of a $2,500 a year um, software that was hosting one of my video courses that I put into my website and learned all that shit with over a week. And now I'm like, I'm fucking boss. I feel fucking great because I can control that one thing. And it's like, I have built that. I've conditioned myself to go through that process and so many new things. I don't see it like that. But if you're one of those people that does focus on like, just sees a fucking mountain ahead of them, don't, don't look at some big mountain tunnel vision. What's that first step look like? Let me take that. Let me get going. Chapter 26 of my book, you know, a series of small wins, you know, don't worry about hitting that fucking home run right out the gate. Go, go just get these little things going on. Win, 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 win. Then go for your big ones and you're much more likely to win in, in that situation. So for people that aren't uh, hitting it big, I would say, yeah, don't worry about other people. Know that the things you're seeing on social media is people's best version of things that don't really exist, you know, because it all comes down to depth and consistency. In prison, I won a lot of handball <laughs> tournaments, um, not because I, I I was the best. I mean, some of these Mexicans I played with, like the Spanish dudes are real athletic in prison and handball's their thing. And they were much more like, detail and articulate with their hands they could have a lot more killer shots but i had consistency i had good footwork you know and so i would i would win almost all these handball tournaments it's all about consistency so just focus on you know that there is a path to your success and it and just start focusing on step one step two just get that going um embrace people that know more than you you know do the research go copy people that are doing similar things you know 
uh, acquire these resources, learn where they're at, and and don't be afraid to um, to just mix things up as things get challenging. That's that's a big one. Don't a failure is only a failure when you stop. That is facts. I have one final question for you before we yeah. get out of here. Same question I ask everybody. What does Las Vegas mean to you? Everything. I mean, <laughs> Las Vegas is everything. Las Vegas is is a place that you can really live your life to the fullest, a place that you don't have excuses. You can fucking do it all. You can have it all. You can have any speed you want. You can access the greatest people or the worst people, you know, uh, the best experiences, or you can just live comfortably doing next to nothing. You know, Vegas is everything. We don't have competition. And one thing that I love about Vegas is I feel like it's one of the easiest places to capitalize on, on opportunities. This is a, this is a hub where people are coming in from business all over the world. You know, it's a center for growth. If you, this is one of the easiest places to make it. It's one of the easiest places to connect. So Vegas is everything to me. Central hub. Where do I send all of the listeners and viewers to follow Definitely. you along your journey? So uh, my Instagram is LegalQs, L-E-G-A-L-Q-S. But just for hanging out with uh, Jake and I today, I want to give you guys a, a, a free gift, a copy of my book. So if you just text, text the word GAIN, G-A-I-N, and you're going to send it to the number is 42828 and text the word GAIN. And it's going to automatically send you a copy of the book. This book, Prison of Penthouse, will show you how to get to the top of your arena. Uh, there's a lot of great information, nowhere near what I covered today. But it's an amazing read. It's a fast read, but it's really enjoyable. So go ahead and, like I said, text number 42828. Text the word GAIN, G-A-I-N, and the book is yours. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it'll be tagged in the section below. Jeremy, thank you for this. I admire your tenacity and grit that I'd mentioned before. Yeah. Um, it's exemplified through your charisma throughout this entire conversation. Uh, Jake, you were fantastic. And I just want to say uh, it's one of the most pleasant processes I've gone through in interviewing. You have a real art for pulling the right information out and keeping the focus and direction to deliver the best value to your people. So thank you for including me today. Uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, enjoy this. I'll see you Friday. See you Saturday yeah. and even more in the future. And cool. thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next time.